Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rachel Richards. Uh, She is a financial journalist, and she's also written two books, one called Money Honey, and the most recent one called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Rachel. Hey, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Just tell us a brief uh, history of of how you got to where you are today. Yes, I'm, I'm a lot of things. I used to be a financial advisor, um, and then in 2017, my husband and I began investing in real estate, and I launched my first book, Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income and royalty income, and we focused on growing those as much as possible over the next few years. So fast forward to today, we now own almost 40 doors, like 40 rental units, and I now have two books, um, and last year I was able to quit my job and retire at the age of 27, and I'm now living off over $15,000 per month in passive income. So basically you're saying this is something the average person can do as well. Uh, They can get several sources of passive income going, and we're going to describe those in detail, and in in fact quit their jobs and have financial freedom. How realistic is that for many people? I think it's more realistic than people think. I mean, a lot of people ask, are you a trust fund baby? And I always say, no, I'm not a trust fund baby. And I never made six figures in my life from a career or a job. So I really do think anyone at any age and on any income can create passive income and achieve financial independence. Let's start with the mindset that you need. You talk about that at the beginning of your book. What is the mindset that you need to switch from being a W-2 wage earner to being, in effect, you have to be an entrepreneur to get these passive income streams going. What does what the mindset change people need to, to make to have, have that happen? Well, I think there's there's an expectation now to retire in the, in, in the way that you do that is to work for your whole life, save a bunch of money, invest in mutual funds, and hopefully accumulate a nest egg that you can live off for the rest of your life. I think that's really what's been ingrained in most of us. Um, and that used to work really well, but thing, times have changed. And so that doesn't really work as well as it used to. You know, the cost of college has ballooned, placing an enormous burden on our generation and our life expectancy is longer. So that's more years of retirement that we'll have to fund. And the most alarming thing is that the Social Security Trust Fund is projected to be fully completed, but depleted by the year 2035. So we're not going to necessarily have that to rely on either. So I think the mindset change really needs to go from, you know, is this traditional way of saving a nest egg for retirement? Is that really realistic? Is that going to work for me? Or can I change and create passive income, become an entrepreneur, do things that will really build wealth a lot more quickly and then achieve retirement that way? So you're saying the nest egg theory did work, but doesn't work for, for people in their 20s and 30s today. You should not count on a nest egg either from Social Security or from pensions or from uh, investments you built up. That's the traditional nest egg theory. You're saying that's really out the window now. Yeah, it's it's still possible, but it's become a lot more difficult because so much has changed. And what I've read recently is that millennials will need to accumulate at least $2 million by age 65 in order to retire. And I don't know about you, Jordan, but I just don't know a ton of multimillionaires, right? So to think that we're all going to have to scrape up multi-millions of dollars to retire, it just feels pretty daunting and overwhelming. And I think that there's an easier way to achieve retirement, and that's by creating passive income. So particularly speak about what's happening today with the COVID uh, and the coronavirus and 
layoffs and people having college debts and not being able to pay their rents and not clear if they can go out. Just kind of put that in the current context of the coronavirus situation. How has that affected the ability for people to reach the nest egg theory uh, 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 goals? So there's a couple of things I've realized and that probably a lot of people have realized as well. But I feel like we were all told that having a full-time job or being a salaried employee equates to income security and job security. And that's not true. That could not be more farther from the truth because if you're 100% dependent on a single source of income, that's not safe at all. What happens if you lose your job, if your hours get cut, if you get laid off? And of course, we're seeing that now more than ever with what's going on with coronavirus. So if you really want to create security, financial security, you want to do something called income diversification. And this just means having multiple sources of income. That way, when one income stream is impacted, you still have other income streams keeping you afloat. And I'll give you the perfect example because this has happened to us this year. You know, in a normal month, our rental income is bringing in anywhere from eight to 10 grand a month in profit. In April of this year, which is the first month that coronavirus was really pretty serious, our rental income only brought in $1,000. So we were barely better than break even. And I know a lot of landlords out there, there's people that are doing worse off than me. There are definitely landlords that are doing better than I am. The way I saw it is if I could just break even for a few months, I would be happy with that. And the only reason I wasn't in a complete panic is because I had all these other income streams keeping me afloat. So that's the best way to safeguard your finances is to create multiple sources of income so that it's diversified. You talk about your number one most valuable resource. What is that? So we talk about either time or money being the most valuable resource. And I think it can be, you can value these two resources differently at different points in your life. You know, when you don't have a lot of one, that's when you begin to value it a lot. So years ago, when I had more time, but I didn't have any money, I would go out of my way to, you know, save a couple dollars on gas. I'd spend time so I could save a couple bucks. Now that I have an abundance of money, time becomes more valuable. But really at the end of the day, time is your most valuable resource because it's scarce. You can always create another dollar, but you can't create another minute. We were all born with a finite amount of time. And so that's why it is the most valuable resource. You're saying that uh, frugality is also helpful in, in reaching these goals. Should people be super frugal? I mean, there's this whole so-called FIRE movement, the financial independent retire early. Sounds like you're a, a FIRE person to some extent. Is yeah, frugality I like the, the FIRE is, is frugality the way to uh, retire early? Well, so here's the only thing that I don't completely agree with with the FIRE movement is that most people do think that extreme frugality is the way to achieve early retirement. So a lot of people will focus on doing that, but that only makes it realistic for really high income earners to achieve early retirement. I mean, no matter how frugal you are, you're not going to get very far if you're making 30 grand a year, right? So I was like, well, I mean, I feel like that works for people that make a good income, but maybe not for everybody. And the other problem with that too, is that you really have to reduce your quality of life. So I was kind of looking at that. I was like, yeah, I mean, maybe it it could be doable, but I don't want to be limited in how much money I'm spending. Like, I want to have fun. I want to go on trips. I don't want to have to worry about the expense side of things. That's when I started focusing more on the income side of things and really starting to create passive income because that way you can have the best of both worlds. You can achieve financial independence through passive income and you don't have to be extremely frugal. You also say that outsourcing 
uh, is part of your secret to success, that you don't have to do everything yourself. How does that work? So when I talk about time being your most valuable resource, um, and this will be especially true for you know entrepreneurs, people that are creating businesses, things like that, because if you're looking at spending an hour on your business versus spending an hour cleaning your house, then you know there could be a clear investment one way or another. So if you can spend an hour on your business and you're investing, let's say your your hour is worth forty bucks an hour, or you can clean the house and basically you could be losing $40 an hour by not investing in your business. Sometimes it makes more sense to outsource those things. You know, can you hire cleaners for 20, 30 bucks an hour? That way you can free up time to invest in creating wealth and building businesses and creating passive income. Let's talk about the concept of passive income itself. People think uh, it just is money coming in. You don't really have to do anything for it. Explain what passive income is, what it takes to set up passive income. Yes, Jordan, I'm glad you asked um, because a lot of think a lot of people think passive income is this money tree, free money. You don't have to do anything. That's not necessarily true. The way I define passive income is that it's money earned with little to no ongoing effort. Is anything truly passive? Well, maybe portfolio investments where you're really just sitting your money there and you're forgetting about it and you're just earning interest. So yeah, maybe that's pretty passive. But the rest of the types of passive income, royalty income, ad income, rental income, you'll likely have to spend you know, a couple hours a week or a few hours a month to maintain. But once the epiphany I had about passive income is that once your passive income exceeds your living expenses, you're retired. So that's really all you need to focus on is if your living expenses is $4,000 a month, then I would suggest creating passive income of at least $5,000 a month to give you buffer room. Now, the first step, go ahead. You spend the rest of your time building more sources of passive income, right? Yeah. I mean, once you create one source of passive income, it becomes easier and easier to create others because you're starting to create time freedom. And what I mean by that is that you're not having to trade your time for money anymore. So once you start creating passive income, you're making money without working as much. And that makes it a lot easier to create other passive income streams. Now you have what you call the scrimp idea of of successful passive income. What do the letters for scrimp stand for? And, And just talk about each one briefly. Yeah, so I wanted to create an easy way to kind of compare the different passive income streams. So I talk about the factors of SCRIMP. Um, S stands for scalability. So can it be produced or offered in mass? Um, for example, if you're investing in rental properties, it's hard to buy you know, a million rental properties. That's going to take time. You might be limited geographically, so it might not be as scalable as something like an online business. Then you have C and R, which stand for controllability and regulation. So really, how much control do you have over it? If you're selling digital products on Etsy, and all of a sudden Etsy institutes a new policy and you're not allowed to sell that kind of product anymore, then you're kind of out of luck. I mean, you don't have a lot of control over that. So you want to make sure you're creating passive income that you have control over. I stands for investments. You really want to think what's the upfront time or capital investment because you do have to have one or the other to create passive income. You can't just snap your fingers and have a passive income stream. You'll have to invest either time or capital. Then number four for M, you have market marketability. So is there a need for it? For example, with my books, you know, there's ton, there's thousands of books about personal finance. So why would anyone want to buy mine? I really had to think, how can I make this topic unique? What's a problem in the market that I can solve and really write a creative book that will solve people's problems? So that's marketability. 
And then the last one, P, is passivity. So how much work do you have to do to maintain the income stream? How passive is it? With rental income, it's not passive unless you hire a property manager. So I always tell people, do that from the get-go. But yeah, that's an overview of the factors of SCRIMP. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Rachel Richards. Uh, she is known as The Money Honey. Uh, her website is moneyhoneyrachel.com, and her latest book is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. We'll be back after this. The way we're working together seems to have changed dramatically this year because of the pandemic. If there's one thing we've learned for adapting to business, it's that you must have access to the right resources. And it's crucial to have a strong digital presence like all the big companies do. So how do you have your business adapt to the unexpected and operate virtually? Well, one key is to find the right talent easily and quickly. Before Fiverr came along, it had been time-consuming, frustrating, and expensive to find the best people capable of doing the jobs you need done. Fiverr offers an online marketplace which connects businesses like yours with freelancers offering hundreds of digital services. That includes graphic design, copywriting, web programming, film editing, voiceovers, and much more. I've used Fiverr several times, and I've always been very pleased with all the people it's matched me with. I hired a photographer in New York who took pictures that I'm now using on my website. I found a web designer in Pakistan who designed a website that I've launched. I located somebody in Massachusetts to do voiceovers for a campaign that I launched. It's really amazing what talent I've been able to find on Fiverr in all these areas. Fiverr's global network of on-demand freelance talent can help you if you're launching your first business to grow your existing business. They can also help you transform your business from a brick-and-mortar one that's local into a digital global one. Fiverr makes it easy to customize your search by service, deadline, price, or seller review. You'll know exactly what you're paying for up front, no negotiating needed. You always pay by the project, not on an hourly basis. Fiverr offers a 24-7 customer service to answer any questions you may have about using the service. Their network of qualified freelancers has worked with the most influential brands in the world, including Netflix, PayPal, and Microsoft. Their freelancers are ready when you are, so they can accommodate the ebb and flow of your business. Check out Fiverr.com and receive 10% off your first order by using my code ANSWERS. Find all the digital services you need in one place at F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code ANSWERS. Again, that's F-I-V-E-R-R.com, code ANSWERS. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. 
Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman. My guest this hour is Rachel Richards. She's known as The Money Honey, and her website is moneyhoneyrachel.com. Her latest book is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Welcome back to the show, Rachel. Hey, thanks, Jordan. So we're going to get into, you have 28 different passive income ideas. So we'll just explain briefly how they work and how people might be able to get into them and, and get some passive income streams going. The first general category is royalties. So just explain the basic of royalties and how you do it, and then we'll get into some of the specifics. Okay, sure. So royalties are basically where you're, pay, where you're being paid for others to use or view your literary or artistic work. And there's a lot of different types of royalty income. The big one that a lot of people think about is self-publishing a book or an ebook. Um, a lot of royalty income streams, you really have to think of what information do I have? What unique knowledge do I have that I might have the ability to teach other people? You can do that through books, ebooks, downloadable content, online courses, even software or app development. There's a lot of options. Once you make the item once and you continue to market and promote it over time, that's when you're starting to create passive income. So I've personally done this one. I have two best-selling books that I've self-published, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. In February, I just had my first $7,000 month in book royalties. And I didn't start out with having a platform or, you know, no one knew who I was a couple years ago. So I definitely think this is something that anybody can do. You say the early stages in figuring out how to create royalties is a brainstorming session. So how should you brainstorm to see what specific thing you can bring that the marketplace does not already have? I would really suggest sitting down with pen and paper and making a bubble chart or just listing things out on a sheet of paper. But here are some questions you can ask yourself to get some of those creative juices flowing. What are you passionate about? Um, what are your hobbies and passions? What are you really good at doing? What do people come to you for help with? What advice do people seek you out for? If you were going to write a TED Talk, what would it be about? Um, what makes you unique? What expertise do you have that others typically don't? That's kind of the direction you want to head when you're starting to brainstorm these royalty income streams. So the first one is books and ebooks. So you think there's gazillions of books out there. Uh, traditional publishers give you maybe 10 or 20 12% royalty, something like that. Is it better to self-publish or go through a publisher if you're doing eBooks? So here's what I learned, Jordan, because I used to be sort of enamored with the idea of getting a traditional book deal. And I think a lot of people are. It seems like once you get a book deal, they're going to do this whole marketing plan for you and you're going to have a huge success. What I realized, though, after doing a ton of research and even talking to some self-published and traditionally pu published authors is that that is not the case. 
when you get a traditional book deal, you're still expected to do 99% of the marketing and promoting. And like you said, you're only going to earn a 10 to 15% royalty. On the other hand, if you self-publish with Amazon's platform, Kindle Direct Publishing, for example, you could earn anywhere from 35 to 70% royalty. So I figured, well, if I'm going to have to do all the marketing anyways, I'd rather make a lot more money and really retain complete creative control over my product. So I definitely think self-publishing is the way to go, especially for a first-time author. You have a case study in your book, a woman named Honoré Corder. Um, Just tell us briefly her story and how she was successful at doing this. Honoré is incredible. Actually, after I wrote the book, I hired Honoré. She's now my mentor. I'm in her mastermind. Um, But Honoré is an executive book coach. She's written over 50 books. She's extremely experienced. And she even helped the really famous author Hal Elrod expand his Miracle Morning series. But a long time ago, she was at a conference um, and she someone re- recommended to her that she write a book and that would help her gain credibility and authority as a speaker and as a coach. So she did. And her story kind of took off from there. Um, it didn't it went slowly at first, but after some time and after she'd self-published multiple books, she really started having success. And now she has like a multi-million dollar empire. She has t- several six-figure income streams all from her books. So she's definitely a huge success story. So a lot of people might be discouraged because they see there's so many books, there's like 100,000 books a year or more published. How can you uh, locate a niche that hasn't already been done where you've got expertise in it? What kind of research do you do and when do you know you've got an idea that hasn't already been done? I always, for, for books specifically, I always look at Amazon. I'll do a lot of research. You know, I'll think of book ideas first, and then I'll do research and see whether someone's already written a book like that. And if they have, if they've successfully done it or not. Um, I'll also do market research on social media. So I'll ask, you know, family, friends, people on, on Facebook, I'll say, hey, is this something that you'd be interested in learning about? Or, hey, what do you think about this topic? And that can be very helpful. But you're right, it's a saturated market. I mean, even with my first book, Money Honey, which is about personal finance, I really thought to myself, I mean, there's thousands of books out there on this subject already. So why would anyone want to buy my book over the thousands of books that are already out there? That's the question you have to ask yourself. If you can't clearly articulate that, your book is not going to be a success. And for me, the answer was that I felt that most personal finance books were boring and dry and technical and overwhelming. And a lot of my friends would come to me for financial advice because the books were too difficult to read. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. So it doesn't necessarily have to be some unique category that doesn't exist, but if you can take an existing category and really write about it in a unique, creative way, you can have a lot of success. And obviously promotion is important to make a book sale successful. I mean, you're doing it right now, but how can people promote a book uh, once they publish something that they think is really good. The launch is critical for your book. The The initial launch, you have to put a lot of effort and time into. A lot of book coaches will recommend that you form a launch team. And this is basically a group of family, friends, anyone that's potentially interested in your book and that's committed to helping you make it a success. Now, when I started out, I didn't know anybody and nobody knew me, so I didn't form a formal launch team. But I did get really engaged in a couple Facebook groups that had my target audience of female millennials. And anytime someone would ask a finance question, I would jump on, I would say, hey, 
Rachel here, former financial advisor, here's what I think. And I'd write out a really nice response. And after doing that enough times, people would start to tag me. So they would be like, oh, Rachel Richard is your girl. Or, hey, you need to ask Rachel, you know, if there was ever a finance question that came up. So I really built some credibility in some of these Facebook groups and and became known as a finance guru or kind of the go-to person. And I think that's a great way for anyone to get started is really using groups on the internet, adding value and not asking for anything at all in return. And after you really build that trust and credibility, you'll you'll naturally have a team of potential readers that are committed to making it a success. So I think that's essential starting out, having a successful launch. And then in terms of ongoing marketing, the question you have to ask yourself is, how am I going to continue to get in front of new audiences and new readers? Because chances are your readers aren't just going to buy your book over and over again. So that's the tricky part in terms of marketing yourself as a book author. And how do you do that? How How do you get to new audiences all the time? The most effective way I found to do that is doing things like this, interviews, um, radio, TV, and most of all, podcast interviews. Because podcasts are a great win. It's like a cross-promotion. So it's a win-win for the podcast host and the guest when you can cross-promote each other to your own audiences. So that's a good way to get in front of new people. Your next source of royalty income is music. So do you have to be a Mozart composer in order to get royalties for music? I do suggest that you have a musical background. So if you've never played an instrument in your life, then chances are this might not be the passive income stream for you. Um, But for people that are already musically inclined, already trying to do this, you can definitely set up licensing, get published on platforms, Spotify, Apple. Um, Streaming these days, you don't make as much money on as, as artists used to with CDs, but it's kind of a volume game. As long as you're putting out new content consistently, you can start to build up a good passive income stream. The next one is photography. Uh, So it's so easy to take pictures today with your iPhone or your Samsung Galaxy. How can you sell uh, photos? So the trick with photography is that you don't want to just sell the photo once. So anyone can get on one of these platforms, Shutterstock, iStock, Getty Images. You want to be able to set up the licensing so that you can sell the photo over and over again. That way, you're only having to take the photo and upload the photo once, and all these different buyers on the internet, they can pay you money to license it over and over again. So that's the way to do it. The next one is online courses. That sounds like a lot of work to create an online course. Is that really profitable for a lot of people? The way I think of online courses, I think it's more profitable once you do have a platform built. So I generally recommend online courses for somebody who, for example, has already published a book or already has, you know, a Facebook group or a small platform. Um, Because they're definitely a higher price than a book, you definitely have to have a more trusting relationship. But I do think it's a profitable way to earn passive income, especially when it's pre-recorded videos like my course is. You make it once and then I can sell it over and over again. So that can work because people go back to it and then the, the word of mouth gets out and people refer it to others. Is that the idea? Yes, exactly. Do you think affiliates uh, program is a good way to promote courses? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, that's a really unique way to market is where you can actually pay other people a commission if they recommend your product to their platforms. I found that to be very effective personally. And most of these online course platforms like Thinkific and Teachable and Kajabi, they do have the option to do affiliate marketing. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Rachel Richards, also known as The Money Honey. Her website is moneyhoneyrachel.com, and her latest book is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. We'll be back after this. 
Wish you were in early on some of the best-performing IPOs of 2019 and 2020. With our crowd, accredited investors have access to invest easily, directly, and most importantly, early. Our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies going IPO, like Beyond Meat, or being bought out by big companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Our crowd's investment professionals leverage their extensive network to review some of the most promising private companies and startups in the world. Their in-depth due diligence includes meeting with management teams and generally comprehensive vetting of deals they decide to make part of their own portfolio. Once our crowd has selected a deal, they offer accredited investors the opportunity to invest alongside them with the same terms. If you're an accredited investor, you can join our crowd for free at OURCROW.com slash answers and review the current deals. No payment is involved until you decide to participate in a deal. As you review deals, you have access to our crowd's investor relations team, who you can talk to directly on the phone about your personal investment goals. The investment professionals at our crowd have already reviewed thousands of companies, invested hundreds of millions of dollars, closed investments in over 200 companies, and chosen dozens of companies that have made exits. Accredited investors can participate in a single company deal for as little as $10,000 or one of our crowd's funds for as little as $50,000. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Memic. Memic explains their tiny robotics allow surgeons to be less invasive and safely perform gynecological surgeries so women heal faster and have less scarring. Memic is a much-needed innovation in the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar robotic surgery market. You can get in early on Memic and other unique opportunities at ourcrowd.com slash answers. If you're interested in investing, you need to join our crowd. So go to our crowds, which is account is free, and go to OURCROW.com slash answers. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. 
Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour, Rachel Richards, is known as The Money Honey. Her website is moneyhoneyrachel.com, and her latest book is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. Welcome back to the show, Rachel. Yes, Jordan. Thanks for having me. So we're going through the different passive income ideas. This is in the royalty section. So the next one is software. So how realistic is people to be able to write software with all the software that's been written that actually would sell online? So you kind of have to go back to the, do you have a unique value proposition? What can you offer that hasn't been offered before? If you have that and you're a lot smarter than me and you know IT and coding, then you can create an app like a subscription app and earn passive income that way. And how about the App Store? What kind of apps? Again, I think there's over a million apps out there, uh, but I guess there are courses where you can learn to create apps. What are some apps that have been successful that you've seen? Um, I mean, there's so many. There's all the social media ones. It's incredible to see how TikTok has taken off. There's all the time management and productivity ones. I think of Mint in particular is a, is a really fantastic app. YNAB, You Need a Budget, is a great app, and it's a subscription payment. So the owners of that are making recurring income regularly, passively. So that's a great example. Another uh, thing you talk about is franchising. So again, there's tons of franchises, but typically you think you need a lot of money to uh, buy a franchise. How can you get into franchising that's successful and not have a huge amount of upfront investment? So you're right. I mean, you normally do need upfront investment. So this would be an opportunity for somebody that has more money rather than time. Now, this one's a little tricky. I I wasn't sure if I should even include it in the book, book because it is a gray area. A lot of people that are opening franchises are spending a lot of time on it. So you have to think from the outset, how can I do this passively and set up this business passively? And really, you can think of any business that way. If you have the right mindset and you can outsource and have a team in place, then it can be a somewhat passive business. And then you talk about mineral rights. So this is buying land on which there's oil or something. How do you get passive income from mineral rights? So yes, this is pretty obscure. Um, and I wanted to mention it in case somebody lived in a you know an oil-rich state like Texas. It's pretty popular there. Um, but if you te- if you happen to buy land or live on land and there could be minerals underneath, then you can actually lease out those rights to a corporation that wants to access those those natural resources. So you normally get, you know, some type of bonus payment up front, and then you get a royalty of everything that's extracted for as long as the agreement is in place. So let's switch to real estate, which is another of areas, rental income. So why don't you talk about how you got the down payment for your first rental property, which is going to be an, an obstacle for a lot of people to get involved in the rental game. Yes, and there's ways around it. There's ways around having a ton of money to get it into rental income, which I can talk about. But what I personally did, um, my husband and I had a couple things going for us. We both graduated from college without debt, and we paid our own way through school. So we didn't have student loans, which allowed us to save more money than 
probably the average person. Also, we were investing in Louisville, Kentucky, which is a really great place to invest. It has reasonable housing prices. And so we weren't spending you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on properties. And then finally, I also had my real estate license. I didn't have it so that I could have clients. I only had it for my own purposes as an investor. But the beautiful thing about that is that every time we purchase a property, we would deplete our savings, but then I would immediately get a commission check back for thousands of dollars to kickstart the next property. So the first duplex we bought was $100,000. My husband and I put $10,000 each in to get to our down payment. And that was just from money that we had saved over the years. So uh, there's long-term rentals and then there's short-term rentals, things like Airbnb and VRBO. What are the pros and cons of doing long-term rentals versus short-term rentals for uh, rental income? So long-term versus short-term, it's just a time versus money trade-off. I have seen that short-term rentals like Airbnb or VRBO, they can be a lot more lucrative, but they do tend to require more time because you're having to coordinate tenants, coordinate turnovers and cleaning and making sure everything's in order. A lot of times the tenants will be a little bit, they'll be a little bit more high maintenance. So that would be short-term. Long-term though is when you have, you know, a six month or a year long or a two year long lease in place and you have a long-term tenant that you're collecting rent from. So how do you screen tenants to make sure they don't destroy the place? There's a couple things I definitely recommend. You want to get a credit check and a background check and also call their references. There's a platform I use called cozy.co and it makes all of that easy. But you want to have in mind like a minimum credit score. For some of my rentals, the minimum is 600 for a credit score. You want to make sure there's no, you know, violent or or drug, any, anything related to that on their background check. And then you definitely want to call through references of previous landlords. Has it worked for you? Have all your tenants been ideal with no problems whatsoever? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> it's not a perfect system. You, you definitely will have tenants that are nightmares. Um, we've had to evict, I think, two tenants. I mean, we've had hundreds of tenants at this point. So it's really only a matter of time. I mean, you're going to get somebody that runs into trouble or that just isn't who you thought they were. But those are the types of things you have to build into your expenses. You have to assume you're not going to have it fully rented at all time. You have to assume there could be some legal costs with evictions at one point or another. And as long as you account for those expenses, up front, you'll be fine. So talk specifically about being a landlord in this environment where a lot of people have not been paying their rent and they've got uh, eviction uh, forbearance or, you know, moratorium. How does a landlord, if you're going to be buying into this current market, uh, isn't it changed from what it was before all this? Yes, it's very interesting, I will say, as a landlord. And I do think it goes back to making sure you're pre-screening tenants from the get-go and getting quality people into your buildings. Luckily, we haven't had a situation where we would have wanted to evict anybody so far. So knock on wood. Um, most people that are not able to pay are just leaving and they're moving out. So the biggest consequence for us is just having a lot more vacancies than normal. We've had we have had to lower rents. We've had to be a little bit more patient to get some of those vacancies filled back up. Um, and that's another thing you want to take into account when you're investing in a rental property is really asking yourself, how much could I lower rent and still break even? Because you want to have a lot of buffer room. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when the next recession will happen. So you, you could find yourself in a similar situation and you just wanna make sure you can make it through. So do you have an opinion about uh, renting in center cities versus suburban areas? So many people are moving out of center cities these days, going into suburban and even exurban areas. Do you have an opinion on where, where to buy rentals? 
I don't, I don't think I necessarily have an opinion. It just comes down to where the numbers are going to work. In one city, it could be too expensive to buy a property downtown, but you might be able to find a good property in the suburbs and get a, a better rental price where the numbers actually work. So it just comes down to knowing the market rents and your and the zip code you're looking in, all of the expenses, and being able to accurately project the profits. Do you only buy rentals where you're living and near where you're living, or do you buy them around the country? So we are actually long distance landlords for the first time ever. We moved from Kentucky to Colorado earlier this year. And I always tell people, be open to investing elsewhere. Um, now that we're long distance landlords, I know from firsthand experience, it's not as bad as I thought it would be. Actually, being a long distance landlord is easier because we're not constantly running down to our properties twice a week. We're forced to outsource those things. So it's actually become easier to manage overall. And, you know, a lot of people that live in the Bay Area or New York City, it's really hard to invest there without, you know, needing to have a $200,000 down payment. So I always tell people, what other cities have you lived in or that you've moved from? Where do you have family and friends or trusted contacts? Those are the places I would start looking into. You also talk about renting storage space. You think of that as big companies doing storage space. How can the average person get into the storage market? There's this really cool website called Neighbor, and Neighbor allows you to rent out storage space in your house. So if you have an extra closet or an extra bedroom or garage space, you can list that space for rent, and then other people looking for storage space can find you. So I think it's brilliant. It's a really great way to make passive income. What are some of the tax advantages of, of being a rental, having rental income and being a landlord? There's depreciation, there's tax write-offs, tax deductions. I mean, property owners get a lot of tax advantages, but that's not the only thing when it comes to rental income. There's three financial advantages. First, there's equity buildup because your tenants are paying your rent over time. So after 30 years, you're going to own a property free and clear, having only paid the down payment. So that's beautiful. Then you have the cash flow and the passive income. So you're making a profit each month, as long as you do the numbers right. And then you also have the tax advantages, which is awesome. As a bonus, I always say, you could also have appreciation. But as we all know, with 2008, that's not necessarily going to happen. So I always view appreciation as a bonus. Do you set up an LLC or some kind of a corporation uh, to run your rental real estate business through? Is that a good idea? I do. And I think it's a very good idea because you want to protect yourself from a liability perspective. And what an LLC does is it protects your personal assets. So if somebody sues you, but the prop, the rental property is in an LLC, they can only go after you for the worth of the LLC, basically. I definitely recommend doing that. And also, what's probably even more important than an LLC is getting an umbrella policy to cover against all liability. Indeed. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Rachel Richards. Uh, she is known as The Money Honey. Her latest book is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. You can find out more about her and her books at moneyhoneyrachel.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? 
Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Rachel Richards, author of the new book called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. You can find out more at her website, moneyhoneyrachel.com. Welcome back to the show, Rachel. Thanks, Jordan. So we've talked about royalty income, we've talked about rental income from real estate, now there's a whole other section, which is coin-operated machines. Uh, how can you, in general, before we get to the specifics, uh, make decent uh, passive income from coin-operated machines? Yes, I love coin-operated machines because I feel like people don't think about them and they're so unique and fun. But basically, a coin-operated machine could be a lot of things. Vending machines, ATMs, arcade games, car washes. Those are all machines that automatically provide a good or service in exchange for money. So if you can invest in those, that's a very passive income stream because you put it there, you have customers that are automatically using it and you're not involved, you're just collecting the money. How do you find good locations that haven't already been taken, or should you buy existing locations where there's vending machines and arcade games? Finding a good location is definitely the hardest part. So you have to definitely go door to door, spend some time on the on the streets and on foot, going around to businesses and seeing what opportunities are available. Office lobbies, office buildings are very popular. You can even start talking to you know mom and pop landlords that might have an apartment complex with a lobby area or a common area. That would make a great area for it. But like you said, you don't necessarily have to find a new location. You could also you know join some Facebook groups, for example, that are all about vending machine owners and see if somebody has an existing route that they want to sell. That means that they already have vending machines in place. They already have agreements in place. They might be looking to get out of the business and you can purchase that business from them. So are you the one who has to go around and fill it up with candy or whatever it may be? Or It depends. Uh, Yes. So you can. And in in my head, it's still pretty passive that way. If you're just going around once a week to restock and collect the coins in the machine, I still think that's pretty passive. But if you really want to make it hands off, you can outsource that, hire somebody to do that for you, and then you're really not having to do a lot of work. Now, a car wash, laundromat, and slot machines are kind of a bigger deal. Uh, To run a laundromat, you've got to have some staff there to do it. Is that right? You don't necessarily have to have staff, but it is a bigger investment. Those three are definitely for people that might have more money and less time because that's really a full-blown business. A laundromat can still be very passive. You know, maybe you'd want to hire someone to just stay there for security reasons or have a good security system in place. But an easier way to get into the laundry machines in terms of passive income is to just talk to, you know, an apartment complex or a multifamily building owner and just say, hey, do you have 
laundry on site. I'd love to provide laundry for you and we can split the profits. That's an easier way, lucrative for both people, and it's normally a win-win. Very good. Um, Are there some resources people can go to to find out more about coin-operated machines? Yeah, there's lots of websites, and I can't remember the names of some off the top of my head, but maybe like used vending machines um, where you can find, because I would never recommend that somebody buy a brand new vending machine. I know that you want to have all the bells and whistles, and it's fancy, and it seems like people will like it, but buying used anything is almost always a better financial deal. So I'd look for websites like that. There's tons of Facebook groups with vending machine owners. Reddit is always another great source of information. So lots of really good resources out there. Now, another of your categories is portfolio income. Um, Now, people are probably familiar with stocks, bonds, and so on, but let's talk about some they may not be as familiar with, peer-to-peer lending. So how does that, and what kind of risk is involved in lending to other people? There is definitely risk. Um, I kind of think of peer-to-peer lending as a more advanced type of portfolio income stream, Um, but I think it's really interesting. You know, it is riskier, it's seen as more complex, but somebody needs to borrow money, and instead of going to the bank or a financial institution to borrow it, they could crowdsource the loan instead, meaning all of these other people on the internet that want to lend their money get together to crowdsource this person's loan. It's really cool. So I think Lending Club and Prosper are the two most popular P2P platforms that I've seen, and I think there are certain requirements, and it's only done in certain states, but I think it's a really interesting passive income stream. So you can pick the level of risk you pick from A to G, basically, A being the safest, G being the most risky. What would you recommend as far as levels of risk people should take if they're lending peer-to-peer? It really depends on your risk tolerance. If you don't want to take any risk, you want to stick with A and stick to those people that are the most likely to pay the loans back. And even with the A, there's a chance that somebody could default and you could lose your money. I mean, with any of these passive income streams, there's always the risk that you're not going to make your money back. So it's something to keep in mind. Now, if you're okay with taking on risk, though, you could invest in a, you know, a C or a D. You're going to make more money. It's going to be a higher interest rate, but you're also going to have a greater risk of them defaulting. So you just have to know your how risk averse you are. The next category you have is Master Limited Partnerships, MLPs. So those are publicly traded. Now, a lot of them are in the oil and gas industry, which has been hurt so badly. Do you still like MLPs? And maybe just give her a name or two of an MLP you might like. Yeah, and this one, Jordan, isn't one that I've um, specifically invested in myself, so I don't have a ton of experience to speak to. I included it, though, because I know that it's a type of passive income stream that exists and that people make a lot of money. So an MLP is a type of business venture. Um, It's a type of investment that is traded on a stock exchange. And like you said, they mostly operate in energy, gas, natural resource sector. There's a general partner and a limited partner, and the limited partner are the investors. So people like you and me that would want to buy units of the MLP on the stock exchange. And those investors are going to receive periodic distributions from the MLP. That's what creates your cash flow and your passive income. So that's how they work. But if oil prices go down as they have this year, the distributions go down as well. So that is the risk in those. Yes, exactly. The next one is real estate investment trust REITs. So real estate, I mean, some parts are doing well. Some parts are doing terribly, like retail. How do you pick which kind of REITs of the many REITs out there would, would be the most secure passive income? 
Yes, I love REITs. Um, they're such a great source of income. It's a great way to diversify your portfolio. And I think it's for anyone that wants to get invested in real estate without directly owning a property, investing in a REIT is a fantastic option. So you're right. You kind of do want to th- consider industry when you're investing in REITs. Um, but there are some REITs that are very diversified. They're very general. And that can be a good option if somebody doesn't know which industry to invest in. Um, retail, like you said, has taken a big hit. But what has continued to be a fantastic industry, especially for REITs, is healthcare. And we have seen that more this year than ever. And I, I do think that healthcare will continue to be very profitable as the generations age, people become sick, they need more insurance, they might not have enough insurance. So I think that's always a safe place to invest. Do you have some specific healthcare REITs that you would like? Um, there, there's a Charles Schwab, Schwab one, and I can't think of it off the top of my head, but in general, there's Vanguard and Charles Schwab do have several REITs that I'm a fan of. And then you have crowdfunded real estate, such as Fundrise. That's where you're actually investing in a direct property as opposed to a publicly traded vehicle. What's the advantage of doing a Fundrise over a REIT? Fundrise is so interesting. I started investing in Fundrise a few years ago when it was still kind of a baby platform, so it was a little bit riskier, but it has done well and it has done it has continued to do well this year even through coronavirus so far. So I'm definitely a big proponent of Fundrise. It is riskier than a REIT because it's a private platform. And again, there's always the chance that you're going to you know, lose money or not make your money back. Um, but I did first test out the platform with a $5,000 investment. And I believe that as of last year, I was on track to earn around 8% for the year last year. This year, I'm going to be earning somewhere around 9%, which to me is incredible given everything that's happening. But just like REITs, I think it's a great way to get invested for somebody that doesn't have a ton of money or doesn't want to directly own and manage their own rental property. In the roughly two minutes we have left, why don't you kind of sum it all up? What a difference it could make in people's lives to use your passive income strategies as opposed to just working at a job and getting their W-2 income. Yes, absolutely. You know, I always... I used to say passive income is great for you to quit your job and achieve early retirement. And while that's true, that doesn't have to be the only goal. You know, you you don't necessarily have to want to quit your job or leave your career because I know a lot of people are fulfilled by their career. But the question becomes, would an extra $1,000, $2,000, $5,000 a month make an impact on your life? You know, passive income is all about creating freedom, flexibility, and financial independence so that you can work when, where, and if you want. And I truly think it's the most attainable way to create extra money and to achieve financial independence. Anyone at any age on any income can create passive income. Even in these uh, coronavirus times when it seems like there are less opportunities and people going out of business all of the time, you're saying there are still good passive income opportunities. Yes, especially the ones that are online oriented and that are very scalable and marketable. Those are the opportunities that I'm seeing this year have been the most lucrative. And how can people get over the fear they may have of going into something unfamiliar and still being successful at it? There is a lot of fear and there's always been a lot of fear every time I've started a new venture too. So for me, it just comes down to preparation and feeling like I have crossed all my T's, dotted all my I's, I've done all the research I can, and that I'm coming from a level of comfort. It might not be total confidence, but being able to be comfortable enough with my own decisions to get it going. So I think the more work you can do, books that you can read, podcasts that you can listen to, the better off you'll be. Terrific. Well, thanks so much. We've learned a lot this last hour. My guest this hour has been Rachel Richards, 
known as The Money Honey, and she, her newest book is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement. You can find out more at her website, moneyhoneyrachel.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Rachel. Thanks, Jordan, for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.